1991. This building was empty, it wasn't quite finished, and we lived in a caravan right where the playground is over there. So for those of you who don't know us, you know we've got a history here, living in a caravan there, sloshing around in the mud when it rained. And um, my reason for coming here was a guy named Phil McCullum. And Phil McCullum was my youth pastor back uh, in earlier days. And uh, when I arrived here, I was broken and falling apart. And he said, I'll help you. If you'll sit with me for three months, I'll give my time to develop you, mentor you, teach you. And I learned in those days how to pray. Um, I, I had surgery. God did surgery on me here in this church. It's not lost on me that... Uh, Many years later, I became the pastor of this church, and I recognized this is one of the things in this church to celebrate. We're willing to take people who are broken, and we believe that God can put you together. And I'm very happy to be a part of that. You know, um, that was 30 years ago, believe it or not, and uh, we went to the 10th anniversary service here at this church 30 years ago. So we have some long history here. We've absolutely loved it. If we were to say, what's our home church we feel very strongly this is our home church. We love you guys. And even though we're here, uh, every, very briefly, God's called us on, and that's what God does. Um, we're very thankful to be back and very thankful to be a part of the life. Now, there's a phrase that's, that you're probably familiar with, some more than others, and this phrase is, life begins at 40. <laughs> All right? And uh, so, so really, this is something you might be familiar with. Well, what happens is some people, if you're younger, you look at that idea that life begins at 40 and you say this, well, really, this is just a cop-out, right? Here you are, you're turning 40 and you're actually getting old. And so you use this idea of life begins at 40 because you're trying to convince yourself that actually you're not old. Now, that might be true, but those of you who have never turned 40, that's, that's often how you might think. But then there's a whole group of people, and they're the people who've passed 40 and way on beyond. And if you were honest today, you'd look back at that 40-year-old and you'd say to yourself, actually, there, there was a watershed moment for me at 40 when I kind of just went, you know what, this is all I got. You know, I better do something with it, right? I better actually live the life that God called me to. I better take the resources that I got. I better take the spiritual depth that I've got. I better take the, the, um, the things that I've learned, the experience that I've had, and I better apply it because there isn't, it isn't going to get better than this, right? So then what happens, actually, truly, for those people, that's what happened to me. Life began at 40. When I started to go, I now realize that I can't hide anymore. I've either got to lead or not. I've either got to pretend that I'm not grown up yet or I've got to be grown up because life actually does begin at 40 for those of you who know. Now, there's one further group of people in this congregation today and those are people who are 39, <laughs> right? Because you're 39 and you're not yet 40, right? And you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not yet 40, but here's the problem, but I'm almost 40. So you used to believe that those people who said life begins at 40, you used to believe they're just kidding themselves, they're just getting old, and you, you said that, right? And you haven't yet crossed the boundary of 40, so you don't know what it's really like, so you're apprehensive, right? You're not really sure. What's it going to be like? What's going to happen to me? I'm turning old all of a sudden, and, and that's the people I want to talk to today. 
Now, before you shut, out, shut down on me, you say, well, that's not me because I'm neither of those. You know, I'm not that age. You're not going to talk to me. I just want to say, I'm, this is a message for all of us because here's the thing I'm going to talk about today. This is about a church turning 40, right? So, so none of us actually know what it's like the other side of 40, right? So we're going to learn it. We're going to learn it. We're going we're gonna to have to step out into it. It's going to be a little bit frightening. We're not really sure whether it'll be okay. In fact, we, we were kind of happy when we were young and we we're like, we were just starting out and everything was fine. And, you know, we were just getting, us, getting ourselves together and, you know, building little buildings and doing the things we did. And all of a sudden now here we are 40 years later and, and we're old. Yeah, we're old, right? I mean, look, Nathan. He was seven. No, and, and, and like you said, hanging around here makes your hair turn gray, right? <laughs> but here it is, right? None of us know, all of us, none of us in this church have ever been past 40. So here we are. What does it look like? How can we make it? What can we do? So what I thought I'd do is I'd look at the Bible. And guess what? If you've been around the church for a while, you know the Bible talks a lot about 40. You know, there was the 40 days and nights of the flood, and then after that, something new, right? There was 40 days Moses spent in the desert. I mean, and there was, sorry, he, 40 days he spent learning to be in Pharaoh's court, and there was 40, sorry, 40, we'll go 40 years, maybe that'll be a good start. 40 years in Pharaoh's court, and then he was 40 years in the desert of Midian, and then he was 40 years leading the children of Israel, and then, you know, this word uh, 40 comes up a lot. So I thought what I'll do is I'll I'll have a look at one of the stories. And and the story I want to look at today is the story of the children of Israel. And we know they spent 40 years in the desert. Now, I don't want to refer to your time uh, prior to this being in the desert. But I want to say that what happens after being in those formative years, having left captivity and working towards where God wants to take you, right? They'd left Egypt. They'd, They'd kind of got saved. They were stuck in the desert for 40 years and they came to the River Jordan and they had to cross. Well, The story that I'm going to share with you is the first story when they decided not to cross. And I'm not going to read it because the problem with this is that it's long. But I'm going to presume, and it's a bad presumption for any preacher to make, that you kind of know this story, right? So what we have is we have the children of Israel. They left Egypt. Great celebrations were out of slavery. Um, And then they eventually, not very long later, they got to the River Jordan, ready to cross into the land, and they sent out 12 spies, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and off they went to spy at the land. And Joshua, uh, Moses said, find out what's going on over there because we need to know. And when they came back, 10 of them said, well, they all said, the land is amazing. I mean, we've got some grapes here. It takes two men to carry the bunch of grapes, one bunch of grapes. The land is flowing with milk and honey, and uh, it's beautiful, and there's lots of things going on. But there's some giants there, and they're so big that we look like grasshoppers. In fact, that's what they thought of us. We saw them as giants. They saw it as grasshoppers. And they began to, those 10 said, we can't do it. It's too hard. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. We're going to get killed. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be so bad. And uh, there was just two who said, no, no, no. God gave us a promise. We can go where we need to go. And those two were Joshua and Caleb. And so here we are with this story. They had the opportunity to enter the promised land and then they stopped right at that point. That's why they spent 40 years. It had nothing to do really with the 40. It was that they had a choice right then to follow the promise of God. And what I want to share with you today is out of that story. And I want to talk to you about some things that you can learn, that I can learn about what's life like after 40. I mean, if life really begins at 40, then what does life look like for us? And what are some of the things that we can 
do as we get towards 40. And I'm going to share with you three things that come from these, uh, this story. And the first of these is, if you want to know what life's like after 40, if you want to know how to survive life after 40 as a church, you have to rely on the promises of God. You see, the trouble is that we don't actually know what the future holds. Right? Well, we do know what God promised the future holds. You see the difference? We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know where we're going to go. We don't know whether it'll work out this way or that way. But what we do know is what God said about the future of the church. What's certain, though, the thing we are certain of is that whether you like it or not, the future will one day be your past. Time marches on, and for those of you who've turned 40 or you're in 39, you wonder how you got here. And, but here you are. And unless you embrace this idea, you'll never actually achieve your potential because you'll all be looking at what, what I've lost and not what I'm going to gain. Um, you can trust the fact that you're going to get older, that the church will get older, and you can try to deny it uh, that you're getting older, and you can try to pretend that you're not getting older, or you can assess where you are. You can take stock of what you have. You can take stock of the experience, and you can grab onto the future. And this is exactly the principle of life begins at 40. You can't go back. You can only go forward. So you can do that with regret. You can do that with fear. You can do that with denial. Or you can embrace it in all that it means. But with all of the unknowns, it's easy to get sidetracked and it's easy to be crippled by fear to see the problems rather than the potential. To see looming possibilities of defeat rather than victory. To see that how could he possibly pay off a loan rather than how can God show up, right? To see how is it possible to get there rather than where's God taking us? So the thing is, the problem is when we rely on our own ideas and we look at what we can think and what we can come up with. And we can see this idea when we look at the spies, the spies and how they reacted. There was two who said, we'll do it. God's with us. We'll go and do it. And there were 10 who said, oh my gosh, we're going to get killed. It's going to be hard. We'll never make it. And unfortunately, there's those kind of people in all of us, in a sense. We have those kind of thoughts almost all of us. See the problem, see the difficulties. And what's missing in this is that those people have forgotten the promises of God. And what's, what's interesting is that God made a promise to Moses 40 years earlier. And in 40 years earlier, he actually showed up in a bush like on fire. And he says to Moses, you need to take off your sandals. You're in holy ground. And I'm going to tell you a few things. I've seen the people in my Israelite people and I've seen their suffering and I'm going to release them from slavery. I'm going to take them out to a promised land and that land is going to be flowing with milk and honey. The verses are in Exodus 3, 7 to 8. Then the Lord said to him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But just a few years later, when they come to cross the, or even years, months, I can't tell you exactly, that's a short time, they get there, they're, they're going to cross the, the Jordan and they're saying, yeah, but we don't know what's going to come there, we're going to die. They've forgotten the promises of God. And, and this is the same for us as a church. You know, those things that, uh, that uh, 
Pastor Don talked about and, and Pastor Dennis talked about and then you know, Pastor Phil McCallum talked about, about the vision of God and what he's going to do. Those things are a part of the dream. They're a part, a part of the hope. They're a part of the promise. And it's not just that promise we rely on. We rely on the promise of God. And here's what it says in Matthew 16, 18. Now I say to you, Peter, that you're Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. This is the promise we have. This is the promise we know. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we do know this. In the end, the church will prevail. It will be a powerful church. It will be built not by me, but by Jesus. And that's the thing we can hang on to. And that's the thing that will guide us. Now, sadly, it says the powers of hell will not conquer it, but that means they're going to try. And they'll continue to try. So what we can know are two things. Number one, we'll succeed. God will succeed. It will be His church if we let Him build it. Number two, there's going to be some battles along the way and you'll wonder why you even followed this plan. That's what's coming, sadly, to say. It's, it's a hard one, right? Because, but it's true. So you have to hang on to the promise. If you hang on to your own way of doing things, you're not going to be able to make it. It's the promise that keeps you going. It's the promise of God. It's what he said he will do. So Jesus promised to build the church and make her great. He promised there'll be milk and honey, but there'll be battles. He said there's going to be a large bunch of grapes with fertile lands, and there'll also be battles. Costly ones, hard ones, dangerous ones, but... If you hang on to the promise of God and you keep your focus on Jesus, like it says in Hebrews, I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You know, I keep going. He's going to help me. So what do you know happens after 39 into the 40s? We know this. You've got to hang on to the promise, the promise of God. Here's the second thing. The second thing is you have to let go of the past. Now, it's hard to mention on a day when here we are celebrating 40 years of the past and it's like, boo, get off the stage, boo. <laughs> We're celebrating 40 years, but, but here's the problem. If we stick around just hanging on to what we used to be and what we have been and how we got here, we'll never go there. And what you want to talk about today is not just that. We want to celebrate that through thanksgiving for what God has done, but we want to go there. So you can't hang on to the past. We, we awesomely celebrate what God has done. There's no doubt this has been uh, true in my life. I'm thankful. But, but this is the problem with turning 40. You can either embrace it or deny it. And this can happen in the church just as much in your own life. It's easy to remember it, to look back and remember the way things were. Remember what it was like when you could actually tie your shoes? You know. Remember what it was like to walk up the hill and not be puffed? But by hanging on to those things and remembering those things, sometimes we forget of what God's doing and where He wants us to go. And sometimes we deny the very promise that He's given us by hanging on to that. He says, I'm going to give you this. And you say, but I, I only want that. I want to somehow celebrate that and stay there. Um, this is exactly what happened to the children of Israel. The first time they came to the Jordan to cross, they sent out 12 spies and 10 of them, while acknowledging the promise of the possibilities of a bright future, they were so stuck in the present and so stuck in the past, they were willing to forego everything God had for them. And this is not a problem uh, that was unique to the 10 spies from Israel. It, it was a universal problem. 
And it, it actually requires effort to overcome this problem. You know, this is tendency to want to hang on to what we had or what we have. And I can't tell you, my job as district superintendent for New South Wales, how much of my job revolves around this issue where so many people are willing to fight just to hang on to what they once had for fear of what they don't know. In fact, it's probably fair to say that for every 12 people, there are 10 who would prefer no change, thank you. Or they want to return to the glory days. But the trouble with the good old days is very often they're not all that good. Yeah. And if you sit back and you, you could really think about it, you go, well, wait, I used to have to stand at the wall with the telephone. And I couldn't walk down the street. And if anyone wanted to get me at the shops, I'd have to say, meet me at three at McDonald's. You know, because... You could, once you're gone, you're gone, right? You, can, you can't ring anybody or text anybody. I mean, you could look back at those days and you could say how wonderful they were, but maybe they weren't. <laughs> the trouble is we tend to pick out our memories from the past, right? And we tend to pick the ones that we, we loved. Or some of us, we pick the ones we hated. And we're stuck in this bondage of, you know what, it was like that for me. Or we're sick of this, wow, it was just so wonderful, right? When the truth is, it was both. Again, we see this in the story of the 10 spies who were afraid. Uh, we see this in the reaction of the people to the vision of the future. Uh, the, spies, the 10 spies says, you know, start to talk to everyone. You, you really don't want to go. It, it's going to be bad. We're all going to be in trouble. We're all going to die. In fact, the people started to say, we want a new leader. We're sick of a leader that's going to take us a place and we don't know where it is. We'd rather stay with this desert, stuck in this desert, having to, you know, fend for ourselves in a dry place where there's hardly any water. We don't want to go to the promised land because we don't know what it's going to be like and we might die in the process. Or we'd like to go back to slavery. Actually, we'd rather go to slavery, right, where everything was kind of ordered and okay than we would go to a place we don't know, even if you say there's milk and honey. Because we don't know what it's going to be like. And we're afraid, and, and we don't know how we got here, and we wish that we could go to what we had. We remember those days of leeks and onions in Egypt, and we forget that we were slaves. Rather than the pain and difficulty of possessing a land with milk and honey, uh, we, we want to hang on to what we had. Now, here's what can happen. You can either be irrelevant or in denial, enjoying your leeks and onions, or you can have milk and honey. But I've got to tell you a secret today. You can't have both. You can't have both. You can't hang on to the past and possess the future. Right? You can't. You can celebrate the past. You can remember the past. You can honor the people who helped you in the past. But the only way to possess the future is you have to cross the Jordan. And you have to face the battles. And you have to hold on to the promise. So let's just pause for a moment as we have been doing, and remember the past. Let's thank God for the amazing things that happened. Let's also acknowledge that some of the things weren't that amazing. Let's remember the good and the bad, and let's move forward. And let's not let the, the past define us, either in the terrible things or in the good things, or in the things that were fantastic. That would be like saying, let's stay 39 forever. That we don't want to experience what happens after 40, so we end up dressing up in clothes that don't suit us. <laughs> and a haircut that doesn't suit our age. 
And when we have grandchildren, we change our names from grandpa to grandma to something fancy so no one knows we're really old. <laughs> we could either do that or we could possess our future, own who we are and where we've come from and say, God help us, we'll follow your promise. We'll follow your plan. and We won't hang on to the past. Here's the third thing that happens after 40. The way to embrace it is you have to The sad news here is that often those who lead us to this point are not the ones who take us to that one. This is hard. It's profound. In a sense, it's evidenced today. Um, Those with great vision and great calling, those we honor and cherish, are not the ones to take us forward. And if this church is going to embrace the next 40, it can't be, in a sense, with all of those leaders we loved. It has to be with all of those leaders who are not yet leading. This is what happened in the possession of the promised land. The old leaders had to hand over the responsibility to the new ones. And we can see that in the fact that Moses handed over the responsibility of leading the people across the Jordan to Joshua. And it was Joshua who led them into their destiny. Uh, And this is hard for us sometimes because we like the old leaders. We love the old leaders. And we're afraid of the new ones. Because they might take, to us, take us to a place where there's no leeks and onions. <laughs> but if we're going to go where God is leading us, we must follow this pattern of letting the young leaders lead us. It's hard. But it is the only way. Let's remember what it, though, what it takes to be a Joshua. Joshua was trained under Moses, mentored, developed... He spent time in the tent of meeting, the dwelling place of God. He observed Moses and how Moses interacted with God. He learned by watching and being with Moses. He gave his time and his energy. And if you read the scriptures, you'll see when when Moses went home, Joshua was still there in the tent of meeting. It's like he watched and then he stayed. And, and And I guess that's the hard thing. So to really experience life after 40, you're going to have to invest in and embrace younger leaders in this church. This is the only way to achieve your destiny. And as hard as it is and as scary as it is and as uncomfortable as it is to your status quo, this is what you'll see to achieve God's plans for the church. In fact, I want to go so far as to say the leaders who will lead you forward as a church, they're already here. They're already in training. They're sitting in a pew. It might right be next to you. And you're going to have to trust them. And you're going to have to invest in them. And you're going to have to listen to them. Because they're going to lead you. In fact, some of you leaders, you already know who you are. And you're already sitting there and you feel the the beating of the heart of God in you. And you know God's speaking to you and he's saying, it's you. You're going to lead this church. You're going to stand up one day. Now, of course, this is not a farewell speech for Nathan. (laughs) Just in case anyone got that idea. (laughs) But I'm calling you to action. I'm saying, if you are a young person in this church and you're in some kind of you know, uh, beginning leadership position, I want you to imagine right now that maybe God is calling you to pastor this church. Think about a seven-year-old Nathan who was in this church 40 years ago. I don't think for one minute he thought to himself, I'm going to one day lead this church. Maybe he did. You'll have to let us know. I don't know. Right? I don't think for a minute he thought that. But God thought that. 
So you might have been standing in that group of 29 people, right? And you might have thought to yourself, there's that pesky little Nathan, right? <laughs> and when this church was built, he's out the back climbing the stairs and running up the, the back there. I don't know. The point is, at seven, you might not have thought he was going to leave, but God did. God knew. God was already planning this. God already had it in his mind. Nothing surprised him. So I want to say for some of you who are sitting there right now, I'm sad that the kids are out right now because there might be a seven-year-old sitting in this congregation or out in that uh, building right now in the cubby who is the next senior pastor of this church or the third next senior pastor of this church. Somewhere here in this church, there could be a young person who could rise up and be that one. And what happens is when you send the kids out there and they do the children's, it's not a babysitting club, it's a leadership development club. Right? It's a place where people can rise up and do what God called them to do because these people will not only lead in this church but in other places around the world, in missions organisations, in, in, in schools and in, uh, in politics. They will stand up and they will be who God called them to be. I'm calling you today to this. And later on, you know, we're gonna, you, you always have an altar prayer, a time, an opportunity for people to come. And I'm going to ask you this. If you're sitting in this church today and you're either in leadership learning or you're not and you just feel like as I'm talking you're thinking that could be me then I'm going to ask you later on when we have a prayer time you come and pray just tell God you say God I'm, I'm willing whatever it takes I know for Nathan I know for myself when I was challenged that one time do you want to serve God wholeheartedly your whole life would you give yourself to, to give yourself to the ministry of a kingdom I said yes at a young age I think maybe someone here today will be in the same boat. I encourage you to do so. For some of you who are young, specifically. Now, so there's that, young leaders. But there's another category of uh, person to be involved in the church, and that's a Caleb. So we have a Joshua and we have a Caleb. Now, Caleb, he was 45 years, he was 45 years old when they got to the promised land the first time, and he was ready to go. Let's go and get these People, let's work out there. Let's get this land. Let's do what has to happen. And he had to wait for 40 years. When he came back the second time, he said, I'm 85 years old, but I'm as young and as fresh as I was when I was 40 years ago, and I'm ready to go. Let's do it. You know what? There's some of you here today. You're wondering, where do I fit? I'll tell you where you fit. You're a, you might be a Caleb. You've been around here for a while. God's not finished with you yet. He's got plenty more for you to do. In fact, he's going to ask you to step up in ways you've never stepped up before. He's going to ask you to do some things you've never thought of doing before. He's going to ask, he needs you. Yes, we're going to be led by young leaders. That's just the way it will be, right? But if God's with them, they'll lead well. And then what we need is we need people who are going to stand up and say, I'll do what I can. I'll get involved. And it doesn't matter whether you're 55 or 85. God can still use you. And I encourage you, if that's you and you're sitting here today thinking, yes, that's me, I want you to do this. I want you to give everything you can, right? Give your time, give your energies, give your money. At your age, you can, you know, in some ways, more than some of the younger people, you can put something in for the sake of what God wants to do. You know, I mean, time, energy, effort, whatever it takes to possess the promise that God has given us for where he wants to take us. And, and to finish off, here's the thing about this. For those of you who feel like, well, I don't know where I fit, here's what happens. If you let Joshua lead, and you let Caleb, Adam, we all benefit. 
Every single one of us. Take the children of Israel. They all ended up in the promised land. They all got involved, right? They all were led well. They all did what they could, right? And so I encourage you. That's, that's the way forward, you know, as you, turn, as you go into your 40s. The way forward is let the young people lead, right? Do what you can to help them and all of us benefit and we end up where God wants us to go. So let's conclude. Do you want to be part of something amazing? You have to let go of the past and you have to embrace the promise. You have to celebrate what God did but believe what he's going to do. And you have to trust that when he appoints leaders, even if they're younger than you, he's at the helm. It's his business and you can trust him. And if you're, uh, if you're older and you've been around for a while, I say just give it all of you've got. It's the kingdom and it needs you. We need more workers, not less. Jesus said, ask the Lord or beg the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field because the harvest is right. I'd just like to pray for you. Father, I pray for Hills Church. Oh. I pause to say thank you for all that has gone before. Recognizing you're already at work. You're already doing stuff. You're already involved in people's life. You're already uh, you know, appointed leaders, anointed leaders, and had them involved in the life of this church. You're still doing it today. And I pray right now for those who are sitting here in this congregation who are feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit, I pray, God, you would help them to rise up, to stand up, to believe that even though now maybe they're not ready, but they will be. I pray, God, help every person in that boat to be unafraid to embrace all you have for them. And I, again, encourage you, if that's you, when the prayer, altar prayer team comes, you come forward just for prayer. You say, God, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to give my life to you. And God, I pray for those who uh, are still courageous, are still willing. Maybe 40 years ago, they believed and still believe. I pray, God, for an anointing on them, a great anointing of your Holy Spirit, that they would just be the people who would trust your leading and your guiding for the, the younger leaders and the direction that you're calling us to and the promise you have. And, and I'd encourage you if, you, if you're in that boat and you just feel like God's tugging your heart, that you'll put in whatever it takes to see God's plan uh, achieved when the altar team comes forward. Um, you come and pray. God, I pray for an anointing on Nathan as he leads. I pray your Holy Spirit touch him, anoint him, give him wisdom and help, I pray, and may you bless this church, not for the sake of us, God, but for your holy name and for your reputation and for your kingdom to come on earth as in heaven. Amen. Amen.